Welcome to BC's Corner, episode 18. Hello and welcome to BC's Corner. Whether this is your first episode or your 18th episode, I just want to thank you for joining this conversation. Your continued support, your continued ear truly means everything. And I want to encourage you all that after you've listened to an episode and you have decided in your own way that this is quality content, I would love to encourage you to give the show a rating on Spotify as well as on iTunes. It really adds to the show's further development and expansion, and I can't thank you all enough. Today's conversation for me is truly a fun one. I have loved this podcast because I have gotten to speak with so many subject matter experts in a variety of different industries. Specifically, I have gotten the opportunity to highlight the work of phenomenal actors and artists. And that means the world to me because I am an actor, I am an artist. Previous episode on the show, we featured Jane Drake Brody of HBO's Somebody Somewhere. We featured the America's Got Talent and the voice alumnus Brooke Simpson, who was also featured in the uh, cast of the Broadway revival of 1776 The Musical, as well as Megan Masako Haley from the emerging Devil Wears Prada The Musical that'll be opening up in the West End this coming year, as well as the Tony-nominated Drama Desk award-winning actress Montego Glover. Today, we add to that list of incredible artists with an Emmy-nominated multi-hyphenate who grew up in the Midwest but broke out into Hollywood working as a Levi's model and later joined Ryan Murphy for his first series, Popular as April Tuna. If you don't know, Google it. I'm serious, if you don't know, Google it. She is a filmmaker, an actor, an educator, and a proud mom to a 14-year-old with what's happening with, we had the WGA strike that recently ended, but then now the sag after strike, uh, which by the time this podcast releases, there should potentially be a resolution. But because of those shifts within an industry that I actively participate in, as well as so many others, I thought that it was an opportunity to really highlight what life is like for an artist, for an actor, in a very practical discussion, in a very practical way. With myself, I've noticed with my friends, with my family, many people don't know uh, what it actually means to be an actor or the work that is put in behind the scenes before you ever get a booking. And like so many, Adria has lived this life and has truly carved the path for herself. She's led her own production company, Tarleton Dawn Productions, with her husband, David. She has produced series, plays, music videos, films. Specifically, a film set that she's known for is a series dedicated to narratives of social change. And with that, she's garnered a Chicago Emmy nomination in 2023, as well as two Telly Awards in a three-year time span. As an actor, Adria has run the gamut. She has appeared on numerous television shows for Fox, CBS, NBC, Nickelodeon, the WB. She has done it. She's appeared in so many films, too many for me to list and for her her bio to numerate. But you've potentially seen her in Chicago Med, Nip Tuck, My Name is Earl, Felicity, NCIS. And currently, she is teaching directing at Syracuse University in New York. So this conversation is, is dedicated to the life she lives, the life that many live, and the life that I chose, and an actor's life. So without further ado, let's dive in with Adria Don. Adria Don, uh, what an honor to have you on BC's Corner. To let everyone know, I know you personally. You have been such a great teacher, advisor, friend to me over the years. And you're not only this phenomenal actress who has had a great career in her own right, but you've also made so much space in your life. You have a husband, you have a son, but you've created so much space in your life to mentor, to coach, to ally with ongoing actors, new actors. And it's really created such a unique camaraderie. 
I think about when I first found you back in 2019, uh, when I was doing Nat Turner in Jerusalem and we were going to the Kennedy Center Festival and I was moving in process of moving to Chicago, but wanting to do more TV and film as an actor, but haven't had exposure to that because I'm, I'm theater through and through and getting the opportunity to one, hear back from you. Cause it's like, oh yes, she's going to take me as a student, but then two, to work with you and to work with you ongoing. And it ingrained in me just the need to always exercise those muscles and to be mindful that our art form, as much as it is spiritual, it's also technical. And I think that's what on camera really taught me as well of like, yeah, feel it, babe, but hey, where's your eyeline? Or, or yeah, feel it, but you're you're too close to the camera or, or to know how to behave on set. And so I learned all of that from you in the last two years for me, as I've done so much indie film work, that's really been the evidence to the work that we've done together. And it's been such an extraordinary time for me as a performer. Thank you for having me. And I'm I'm so happy to be on the show. And I'm so happy to hear that, you know, you're booking so much film work. When I book theater stuff, you're like, yeah, that's cool. But when I book <laughs> film work, you get really excited. I look at your career and your many appearances on screen. You have done stage work as well. But then also the work that you pursued as a writer, as a producer, as a director. And then now you have this amazing opportunity to teach at Syracuse University in New York. And we've had many conversations about the reality of life as an artist and how that looks very different for everyone. But there's so many similarities to the differences in time, the age gaps and things of that nature. Your life, your career, when you started, is this what you thought it would be? You have the initial success, Ryan Murphy's popular Book and Levi's ads. You've you've done so much work. I've been on, I, I jokingly say, every TV show known to man. Is this how you <laughs> thought your career ideally would look when you first started out? You know, that's a great question. Is this what I thought? No. I moved to LA with sort of a blind ambition. And that came from my college experience, having excellent teachers who made me feel like I could do anything. <laughs> so when I got there, I had this, you know, got to do it. This is the only way. That sort of energy, I think, led me to just being fearless, which which was a gift that I was so grateful for. But did I think that that would happen so early and right away? Absolutely not. And then, you know, cut to here I am now in New York and I'm teaching directing. And I'm like, if you would have asked Adria right out of college, if you would be teaching college students directing or even being a filmmaker, I'd be like, no, what are you talking about? I'm an actor, you know? So everything changes. And, and my advice is to just be open and listen to the, the signs you get about change. And I want to park there for a second. So booking Ryan Murphy's first series, popular, most people listening probably wouldn't know it, but it was a phenomenal show. Leslie oh. Bibb is in it. You play the iconic April Tuna in it. And I say for everyone, if you haven't seen Popular, you have because you've seen Glee. And if you watch Popular and then watch Glee, you go, oh, there is a lot of integration between these <laughs> two high school dramatic comedies. And I have to ask, for starting out, what was your experience in that particular role, having that particular opportunity at the time? And then two... How did you manage kind of, I don't want to call it the deflation of success, but I think more now than ever, people are noticing you can be acting on a series on HBO, be a, a regular and have a recurring role and get that steady check as well. And then your series either gets canceled, it gets delayed because of COVID or because of an actor's strike and that work no longer exists for you. So you go back to your day job and you go back to auditioning, you know, nonstop because you never stopped auditioning. So yeah. what was the experience of that show and that initial success? But then how did you manage the deflation afterwards? Yeah, those are all great questions. I think for me, you know, when I got out there, I ended up hooking up with a fabulous person and manager, Gordon Penn, and he took me on as his client. I had met him in Chicago. He took some some clients of his out to LA and I wasn't one of them, but I knew that he had been doing this. So when I got out there, I was like, Gordon, you just have to take me. <laughs> and, and he did, thankfully. And he got me that audition mm. um, along with getting me an agent, right? When I went into that room, I think I had booked my first TV show, Seventh Heaven already. And so I had a little, little recurring on that. And then, so that gave me a little bit of confidence. And then when I went in to, to read for April Tuna, April and May, the twins, I just felt so 
free to kind of play with that character in a, in a very bold kind of choicey way, as you see often in the early aughts television. <laughs> I remember too, Ryan Murphy being very excited by my excitement, right? In the producer session. And he was from Indiana. I was from Illinois. This was his first show. I was just new to LA. We had a lot in common. And I think that that carried us through our relationship, which we did work together for two years on Popular, but then he also had me on Nip Tuck and he likes to use people uh, in a recurring way. So I think it was timing that got me that part. I think it was where we both were at in terms of our careers and our excitement and joy. Right. Yeah. And and yeah, when preparation and confidence meets timing, it's a win. Wow. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Also, your question about, you know, how do you deal with sort of the ebb and flow of the industry? I remember, quite frankly, being devastated when Popular left, you know, to get paid any anytime I get paid. But that role was just so fun and crazy to get paid, to be around beautiful people in a crazy character, being able to just like laugh every day. Uh, to where my stomach hurt. It was such a gift. So when it did end, I was very sad about it. But at the same time, I kind of knew that nothing lasts forever, you know? So what I did then is, you know, I kept auditioning and got other jobs and all of that. But I, I didn't look at it as a death or whatever. I looked or an end. I looked at it as this is going to propel me to something else. And when mm-hmm. we look at like connecting the dots from one job to the other, that helps us bridge the valleys. <laughs> you know, it's not a valley. You're just connecting to another thing. And many people don't really understand the work that actors do. When I first started out, the understanding was that the job is auditioning. Your job is to audition, to go on right. as many auditions as possible. Of course, as you kind of go up through the layers, I started in more of a community theater environment, rose up to doing more professional level theater and now only doing professional level equity theater. That has definitely been, yeah, right. That's a, that's an accomplishment. I have to say. It is, um, it is, Brian. Because it, it was a lot of work that went into that, but many people don't know what that work looks like on an ongoing basis. And it's kind of interesting because my metric, when I first started, whenever I meet anyone that tells me they're an actor, I question like, Hey, who did you train with? Who are you training with? Do you train? Can you act? If I give you a script right now, can you go with me into that place? And that's not always the most common thing. So from your point of view, what are the metrics when people meet actors, when they see actors to go by? Because a booked gig is not the most reliable metric. Gosh, I don't know. You know, I I know a lot of actors that when you meet them or when I work with them, they're like, you know, these are my goals. I want to book this by this time and I want to do this by this. And I'm like, well, you know, you may want that, but the timeline isn't necessarily up to you, right? There has to be a lot of things in play. And I think, you know, there are misconceptions about actors and we always want to prove ourselves to everyone. You know, actors are just lazy and they just get up and say lines and then, you know, they go work out, they go to the gym, they don't have real jobs. I could go on and on and on. Or like, are you an actor? Oh, do you have lines? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, we're, we're misrepresented and we're misseen by a lot of people. So I would say the metrics to be a good actor, like what makes them successful is that just like you said, they're training, they're working on their craft a lot. They're exploring their creativity. They're keeping a positive outlook. And the biggest thing that I can say for actors that I see that are successful is that they do not attribute themselves to the work. And what I mean by that is, is like, I try to tell actors, you are more than your job. And because we are our product visually and emotionally, it's hard to separate that. And I'm always like, listen, you are so much more than your job. It's great to be on a moving, amazing show that moves people in a profound way. Sure. And it's great to entertain people and make them laugh. But you're more than an actor. You know, what else do you do? Do you like to hike? Do you like to travel? Are you connected to your family, your mothers, your sisters, your brother? What else do you do? And if you focus on nurturing and supporting that side of you as well, I think that helps you become more of a balanced professional actor. It's helped me that advice right there because I I view myself as an artist 
And the other things that I do, including this podcast, are extensions of that artistry. Although acting, you could wake me up in the middle of the night and I'm like, okay, let's do it. I will block my calendar from here until kingdom come just to solely act and to tell stories. It's truly a desire of my heart to do that and to break false views of reality through that medium. But I also have this podcast and to your point of what are the other things you like to do? How important has it been for you to create opportunities for yourself, to create work for yourself? Because I probably could tell you how many auditions I've gone on this year, but I could tell you how many I've booked this year. And that's two. I've booked two opportunities this year. And it's been a long year. And one of those opportunities, I don't start until 2024. And Mm so when I look at my 2022, it was a very fruitful year, lots of auditions, lots of booking. But I look at 2023, it was a slow year. And as I talk to other actors, Steppenwolf actors, and everyone experiences this, how have you created an atmosphere around yourself that is consistently creative and and constantly innovative through the work that you're championing? In answer to your question, you know, going back to like the ebb and flow of the industry, like I have to create work just like you have to be creative. By the way, I'm doing a little detour here, but I'm so proud of you for doing this podcast. I was listening to past episodes. I just listened to Allison Bird. What a queen. You're bringing some beautiful, spirited, amazing people to the show. And this to me is part of your creativity as an actor and human. And I'm just excited about that. So these types of projects are definitely fulfilling you and leading you to any type of work, to acting work, to performing, to speaking, to telling stories, whatever it is. So for me, I do the same thing. When work isn't there or you don't book work or whatever, again, going back to you are more than your career, you're more than these words that you say. If I look back at like in high school, even in high school, even in college, I was leading warm-ups before the play. I was directing one acts. I was always having this hat on of director, writer, producer. And so in my lulls, I would create my own work, whether that was a a funny web series or for the last 10 years, work that um, evolves around social change. That now is feeding me more, more than anything. That and I would say supporting other artists um, and teaching and coaching. So It's important to listen to if you have a creative impulse and want to try something other than acting, because usually those things are really powerful for your spirit. Let's talk about the work that you're doing in social change. You've had a number of successful film projects that have gone on to festival. I get the emails for when you have screenings or when you have interviews or conversations, and you're constantly giving back into the world. Can you talk more about the source of that work and what that itch was for you? I've talked a lot about, you know, my itch in this podcast was really to have transparent, necessary conversations that aren't had in the mainstream and that are more obscure, but to have them in an educated and informed way. Could you speak more about the work that you're championing and really the core of it? As everyone knows, I do coach and I and I do teach a lot. And I was working with, it all kind of started 10 or 11 years ago with uh, the Performer School, which is a school in Highwood, Illinois. And they're, they're great. They focus on musical theater and acting. Stacey Flaster and Liz Fauntleroy, they they own that. And they came to me and they were like, Adria, we want to teach a, a class on on-camera acting, but we want it to be more than a class. We want what, what can we do that will kind of put us on the map? And we all brainstormed together, came up with this idea of filmmaking for social change. I work with middle and high school students to come up with a topic and a theme that we make a film into. That sort of started everything for me when I saw how amazing it was for me to work with these kids and to help give them a platform that they might not otherwise have, uh, that started really exciting me. And I had no idea it would last 10 years. I had no idea we'd complete our eighth episode and it would be distributed and all of this. And it was something that I felt so passionate about and so grateful for the experience. That's where it all started from. And then from that series, other movies started popping up. We did Gray Area with Kelly Kitley, who's a local park resident and a mental health expert on NBC and CBS and everywhere else. And yeah, we made a Black Lives Matter film. So again, you got to get the ball rolling about what excites you the most or means something to you. And then I think it can really take off if you nurture it and support it and put the time and energy into it. 
how would you describe the the passion you have for storytelling and your purpose as an actor, as a director, as a creative? And how is that translated into the success that you've had and how you define success for yourself? You know, I was thinking about what I think success is. And just for me personally, I feel successful when I can support others. I feel successful when I see a client, yeah, book a job, but also just give a really kick-ass audition. Um, I feel success when I support others. I feel success when I'm collaborative um, on a film set. I direct with my partner, David Tarleton, and I feel success when we can make something together work really well. And I feel success when I see people being moved by what I make. That to me, like if I had one person that liked a film, I'd be like, oh my God, yay. Right. <laughs> but when it, when it reaches bigger audiences, I feel success. I guess when I'm allowed to be creative, I feel successful. Even if it doesn't turn out to be perfect, I have to be creative in whatever way is presented to me at the time, whether it's by directing or acting or writing or producing or consulting or script consulting. I feel successful when I'm creatively supporting and helping a vision. What are the biggest misconceptions about acting from the perspective that you get a lot of inbound, a lot of students who want to work with you, a lot of people in general who want to work with you, and you find that these there are common threads that you kind of have to smash and all of their realities about the work? Well, there's so many, you know, I can delve into the work a little bit, but actors will expect results after like three sessions or something. Um, you know, they want the short fix. Well, I trained with you for that audition, but why didn't I get a call back? And I'm like, I have an hour with you. <laughs> I can't perform miracles. So misconceptions about if I do this amount, I'll get this reward. That's a misconception. And then I think there's a general misconception with some clients on-camera acting is just about like talking quietly. <laughs> In the not, eyes. Yeah, and like not really finding nuance. You know, it's really, on-camera acting is so nuanced and complex and wonderful, and it takes a while to get it. So I would say the misconception is that it's a quick learn. Sometimes people learn very quickly. You know, I think good acting is good acting. If you're a good stage actor and you train in on-camera, chances are you're going to be a good on-camera actor too. But there's misconceptions. Yeah. I, I would also say too, that largely just in acting in general, I think that a lot of clients miss out on allowing vulnerability to creep into auditions. You know, it's so easy to play somebody super angry and mad, <laughs> but when you ask them to like open it up your heart and kind of let it spill out, people have a hard time with that. If it's warranted in the text, you know, they have a hard time being vulnerable. That's the biggest thing that acting has done for me is that it was a safe space for me to be vulnerable in a way that I probably I couldn't on this podcast and I can't in my corporate life. But when I'm on stage, man, can I let it slip to the <laughs> point where maybe if we're really, really close, you shouldn't come see my show because you'll see something and be like, hey, was that was that about me? Did you did you substitute there? But I think the vulnerability that we can have as actors is such a powerful tool. And it's what makes great acting great acting in preparing for this conversation. And I was thinking through the shows and films that kind of interplay in my life right now. And one that I have been really loving to, in fact, Foundation on Apple TV+, Plus, then also The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. Foundation, I was recommended by a friend and I just started it, but then I just devoured it and got consumed because it felt very much like Star Trek, Interstellar and House of the Dragons all in one. But what I get drawn in by is the vulnerability of the performances of that. When you look in their eyes, you know that they, one, believe what they are saying. They believe the circumstances that they're in, but they're personally connected and invested in it. And I think that's what makes great actors, great actors. That's what makes you pop on camera is that conviction. Not so much you doing the googly eyes. I text people sometimes when I'm watching shows. And I'm like, it's not giving anything. They're not giving me anything. And I can feel it like they're just hot. But I love when yeah. there's that deep-rooted conviction, but also dynamic, character-driven storytelling. Yes. For you, how much do you consume that's out there right now? And what are those shows, those films that have really caught your eye? Oh, my gosh. Well, 
first of all, I agree with you about the whole acting thing. Like there's got to be something happening. It's got to be about your partner or why are you on camera? And you can totally tell when somebody's personal and specific with that relationship. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But well, right now I'm co-teaching this directing class. Someone else is teaching the acting part and I'm teaching the directors and the class is focusing on how to cultivate the actor-director relationship. So I'm going through all these films and I'm watching because they're all going to shoot scenes in class. I was checking out I May Destroy You, which is so wonderful. Yeah. Um, I was I rewatched Promising Young Woman and I'm wrecked and re-traumatized. <laughs> Anything that, you know, I'm a big fan, obviously, of uh, the female experience, of people of color's experience. I sometimes throw on Mrs. Maisel at night just the to marvelous watch marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, yeah. I might costumes. have to give it a try. Oh, I just watch for the costumes and for the musical numbers. But I mean, yes, there's a lot of vulnerability in there too. But it's it's <laughs> also funny comedy. I love what we do in the shadows. <laughs> um, what we do in the shadows. It's a vampire movie. It's a series. It's hilarious. Hilarious. So I do try to keep up on everything. I did see Barbie and I loved it. Yes, yes. I loved me some Barbie. Love Barbie. I loved Barbie. I did. So tell me tell me why you loved Barbie. And you probably heard some of the criticism. So try to juxtapose it with some of that. Well, I loved Barbie because I went in, you know, of course, I, I'm a nerd. So I read the articles ahead of time. And da, 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 da. I wanted to go because I love Greta Gerwig. As a female director, I think she's exceptional. And she did not let me down. She took crazy, bold choices and how how the story was told with a feminist arc in the end. So that's what I liked about it. I liked America Ferreira's monologue about how hard it is to be a woman. And so I wasn't expecting that. And I liked the beautiful flashback footage that visually told, you know, what life is about. It's about connecting to your people. That's all why we're all here. We're all here to connect to each other. We're not doing that. Something is screwed up. So there's always going to be haters, but I'm a Barbie fan. I mean, I'm here for it. I watched it in Brooklyn. So I was in Brooklyn for about, you know, most of the month of July, but between Oppenheimer and Barbie, I forget that I'm in Brooklyn and that I'm in Chicago and I have to like book these things in advance, but especially so in Brooklyn. So trying to get in a screening was like, an adventure, but I finally get into the second row of one and I'm sitting next to the most New York of New York gentlemen ever. And during the film, he's constantly like talking to himself and he's like, oh, that's me. I hate me. I hate me. Oh, fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> and I'm just like, Lord have mercy. It was such a fun time. But the movie itself, it did take boat choices in that there was a moment for me when I almost thought that this film was going to be like life-size. Because it had that tinge to it of like, I'm a Barbie, I need to go to the human world in order to fix this and interact with my human, you know, maker. And I'm like, okay, that's been done before. But it did so much more than that. And so that's when I really had an appreciation for the film and the the threat about life, about, you know, what it costs to live. That was very remarkable and very well done and very poignant. Honestly, for me, you know me, I love the dramatic stuff. I I wish we could have just sat there just a little bit longer. It was a great film. And for those who hated on it, it was kind of like, okay, you're just bored. (laughs) I knew of a a friend, uh, you know, an acquaintance, and she won't even go see Barbie because of how the image messed her up when she was younger. I heard about this and actually a few of my lady friends from the past have said this, I'm not going to go because it screwed me up so bad. And, you know, I totally get that. I totally get that response of like, you know what, do you do you? I can totally see how Barbie's image has screwed over so many women. But then there's this little tiny hopeful Adria going, but if you saw it, you might really like it because it's so feminist. Yes. (laughs) So anyway, oh, and, but, but getting to your point of like being in the drama, I did sort of like sitting in that like beautiful life a reflective moment, but then I can just go and play Billie Eilish's song and I can go back into it because that song is so beautiful. Wow. Beautiful song. Did you see Oppenheimer? You know what? And now here's me being totally opposite of what I just said. I cannot see Oppenheimer right now. I just can't do it. So I've already been tainted by reviews saying that women were just basically left out of this entire movie. So, which fine, but now I have that in the back of my head going, well, don't go see it, you know, but then I'm also hearing this is so amazing. This movie is incredible. Oh my God. It's amazing and wonderful. And so I will, but I'm not ready yet. (laughs) What I felt with Oppenheimer, I saw that here in Chicago, 
And that was an appointment, like a four-hour appointment to the theater, which I don't mind. I have good stamina. But in watching it, they made it seem like it would be like this action thriller. And it's more of a historic period drama. It's like the imitation game. And in that respect, like, it's a good film. But I didn't think it was as explosive as people were making it out to be. I thought the performances were as expected from these phenomenal, brilliant Mm -hmm. actors who I know are phenomenal, brilliant actors. Even Emily Blunt. I thought the way that they allowed her to show some nuance where her character was placed, I thought was really well done. But as far as, you know, the main main of all of it, you know, they're building a bomb. And then there's the fallout from Oppenheimer's career. And so I thought it was a good film, but I didn't see it as something as explosive. It just, it took on a media cycle for about three weeks. Mm -hmm. So that's what I noticed about it. When looking to the entertainment landscape at at large, we've seen the integration and you've seen the integration of how it shifted from having the main networks to then expanding to then streaming Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime, Netflix. How have you seen that impact not just your career, but the landscape at large? And do you think it's a positive move? Oh, man. Well, you know, this brings up the strike right now, (laughs) Um, the writer's strike and the actor's strike. I think that there are pluses and minuses to how media is evolving and changing. At the same time, you know, I'm a union actor. I'm a proud member of SAG-AFTRA. I've been a proud member since 1998. I am an old person, yes. There are pros and cons, you know. I remember when I would turn on the TV and be like, David, David, my husband, Look at all this content. I can't even decide what I want to watch. I grew up, Brian, when there was like MASH was on TV, uh, Hee Haw, like there was like nothing, you know? So to have all these opportunities to audition for all these things, if you get those opportunities, is amazing. And I have seen like a, a shift in the actor landscape and casting, which I think is wonderful and more in getting to be slightly more inclusive, which is a beautiful thing. But then I think of like the whole fight with AI right now. And then I hear about huge actors not getting paid for streaming. Those things are wrong that we need to control, that we need to fix. So I think it's good and bad. And I do hope that our amazing leader, Fran Drescher, continues to fight for us. And we will, you know, (laughs) we will survive, you know, but it's really hard. The expansion of everything needs to have unions and rules that protect us because as you know like the numbers that actors make a year from acting are either like the few that make the ton of money or like everyone else that can't survive i was explaining that um to a friend that for me i'm in a privileged position because i have a really great thriving corporate career and that has given me the opportunity to operate as an actor at a loss and it not hurt me i'm not bleeding because of it But when I get an audition, I can pay whatever my coaching fee is. Right. But like 90 and 150, like you can pay that coaching fee. When I need new headshots, which cost around 300 to 500 bucks, I can go and I can pay for those new headshots, no sweat. When I'm cutting a reel, like I just commissioned a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. I can pay the $300 to cut a reel. So I think there's so many expenses that come with acting that when you finally get work, you feel like you should operate at least at a profit for the work that you're doing, but be fairly compensated. When we look at what, you know, the, I won't call them demands, but the kind of bricks in the road that are stopping from us progressing as an industry right now is we are seeking those AI protections that you can't just scan our bodies in perpetuity. That just feels so wrong and a bit violating if I'm honest. Exactly. They want to take an extra who's playing an extra role and have their likeness forever. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And I remember too, Brian, you talking to me about this job when the corporate job and you were like, I don't know. I don't know. I I want to be an actor. And I'm like, take it. You need a check. You can do both. (laughs) You know, I like did a pause. You sighed and you said, Brian, I've been in the same boat. You're like, I've worked a ton, but I have taken the corporate jobs. It helps. And it has. I used to make coffee. People know the story. I used to make coffee at Starbucks 3 a.m. to about 7 or 9, depending on the day. Uh, I would open up at Starbucks, work the morning rush, then jet on to class, then jet to Chicago, then jet on auditions. But when I moved to Chicago, still doing that, 3 in the morning, opening up at Starbucks till about 9 a.m., then going to Instacart, working another like three to four hours as I could fit it in in between auditions. And I was only doing that to break like 
barely even. Like I was just trying to come up with my rent. And then it's like, yo, we can like scavenge for food if need be. It's me a hustle. Working. COVID really was a gift to me in many ways because it gave me, I graduated university at that time. It gave me the opportunity to start in a professional career and I fast-tracked in my career. And that's been really great to have at the same time because there's more flexibility than I think people recognize. Yes. The AI protections, but also what they're looking for is that our same wage increases for actors are the same as video game performers. So those who work under film and television contracts. And it's so that we make residuals for the work that we do that is still shown, that is still profited off of by these major companies. Yes. And so it's rather interesting to see how making a living as an actor is very evasive. Because I operate at a loss. A lot of these indie projects that I did got paid for them all operated at a loss on, I think, all but one of them uh, when we had to do reshoots. So I got lucky and I got to, I already did the work, so I didn't have to do coaching again or do anything else again. But all of the work we do, maintaining our bodies, our instruments to then training, even auditioning, you know, all of our auditions, I have this big ring light set up at my home. I have a camera that I record on. You know, when you submit as an actor, you're not just acting. I wish. That's why I loved working with you because I could just step into your studio. (laughs) You would be the director and I could just act and you could tell how light I was in those Mm -hmm. sessions. But we've also done them via Zoom where you're helping me with my setup. You could see how much stress I'm under just to not get an opportunity or get an opportunity. Right. And what you're talking about is the hustle. You're talking about the hustle of having to... There's so many of us that are doing Instacart, Uber, Starbucks, babysitting, uh, teaching kids how to play soccer, whatever it is to make ends meet. It's a struggle. And then there's the misconception that, oh, well, you were on that TV show. You must have a ton of money. Oh my God. People thought I was so rich. True story. (laughs) When I was in LA and I was booking TV, my mama was like, girl, you better keep that day job. You better keep it. And so this is a story. I worked at this shop called Uncle Jerry's with fabulous people. They were like family to me. They would let me leave on a long lunch hour to drive my car to hell and back for an audition on my lunch break. So one day I had booked medium with Patricia Arquette. I opened the Uncle Jerry's store, right? I dragged my car on my lunch break to shoot this scene. It was one like opening scene. I wrap it. I come back and I close. Like you just do what you have to do. I worked on that, you know, for I think half of popular at that store. Like we have to do what we have to do. And we are not making, unless you're like a series regular star, chances are you're making some money, but you're not making money, money. You know what I mean? So I think we do need to have our rates increase with the times and the tech and take away. Let me just get on the soapbox for a tiny bit, a minute here. The CEOs of of these companies are making so much money and they are lying to you when they say that they can't share that with everyone else in the production. They are lying. So I hope that that gets resolved because the hustle for the actor is so real. It's the hustle, but like what's blessed me in working a corporate career these last few years is also I have health insurance. I have dental. I have vision. To be a working actor, you know, to get paid for your work is one thing. To make over $25,950, which is the SAG after minimum, to qualify for health insurance is another thing. So what you mentioned about having to work that other job to keep it going, like it's a necessity. It is. So that there's an interesting story that I have with this that I've shared publicly too. When I was pregnant with my son, I was, you know, not getting as many auditions. I was still auditioning, just not as many. And so I lost my SAG insurance for the first time when I was pregnant, (laughs) I think about to deliver. So I wrote my union, the Actors Fund. I wrote them a letter saying, could you help me with my health insurance? I'm pregnant. I've been a member for X amount of years and I'm working, but I really need this now because I'm having a baby, which is not cheap. And they gave, they, they helped me. So that's what the union does for you. I was so grateful that they, you know, it wasn't like paying for everything, but they helped me supplement and I'll be forever grateful. And that's what kind of support the union can give you. And and the Actors Fund even stepped in during COVID. And I think it's interesting coming up as an actor because when I moved to Chicago, that was like the, even though I had some time in Chicago prior to, that was like my ramp up. It was like, I'm in Chicago, we're going to do this thing. I'm not the only actor. There are many actors who were in conservatory, who were in school, who were working on projects. You even have projects and the world stops and all the work goes away. And I remember crying and I remember just being like, I came here to do this. 
to act. That is my calling. That is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not able to do it. And feeling such a crushing weight because of that. But then as time has moved on, realizing that, you know, my worth, as you said, is not determined by what I'm working on at present time, but it's centered around the value I have in myself, the work that I do and the other ways that I go out and create. Erwin McManus, who I had the privilege to interview on another podcast, he said to me, you know, as a creator, your job is to go out there and to create. He didn't like the term thought leader because he said, you know, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about that stuff. My thing is to go out and to break the false views of reality that hold people captive. So as a creator, I'm going and I'm creating and I'm actively championing things and some of them succeed, but some of them fail. But my job is to go and do the work. And that message to me has lifted me no matter if it's COVID, no matter if it's right now a strike, which has put all equity work. I'm very lucky that I've gotten the work that I've gotten specifically. Yes, guys, I'm returning the stage. I won't tell you guys where yet, but returning in January, February, very lucky. And you reminded me, you said to me, Brian, you're very lucky to have gotten this opportunity in a time where no one's getting opportunities unless, <laughs> you know, a lot of production companies, they've already casted, signed the waiver and are are doing the interim contract from SAG-AFTRA and are meeting right. those demands. It, it's a very lucky time to be in. What have you been advising your students? What have you been advising those who are trying to come up, trying to get that momentum, but they're suffering with the times? Oh man, there's a, there's a lot, you know, and me personally, I'm not coaching as much because of the strike, but I am doing some career consulting. And there are people, just like you say, that they're coming to me sad, crying, depressed, you know, and I'm not a therapist, but I'm a supporter of anyone artistic. Wait, you're you not know, a therapist? I'm actually not, but... Oh, um, let me change your name my Yeah, phone. change my name. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I feel very honored when people share with me like that because I understand what they're feeling, you know? I've been in their shoes. I always suggest to them, you know, now is the time to look inside you. Even if you just pick up a pen and start to journal about how you're feeling, that's going to help you get out of it a little bit. Get outside, go for a walk, meet another like-minded artist or meet somebody totally different that's an artist and talk to them. Meet them for coffee. Go on the internet if you don't want to talk to anybody on the phone. Text them and say, hey, I'm an actor. I'm, you know, I'm followed up on your work. I would love to, um, you know, do a Zoom chat or a talk or take you to coffee and pick your brain. There are very few people at this time right now that would be like, no, I don't have time for you, depending on who you approach, you know. So I'm always kind of encouraging people to connect to other people. Even if it's like, I don't have any money, well, can you volunteer at a theater and hand out flyers? You know, go and see some art, go on a free day to the Art Institute and be around art and creativity because you you deserve that. What happens with the actor? Because we're empathetic beings, we're emotional beings. We go, oh, I'm not working because I'm not good enough. Again, going back to what I said earlier about you just meshing into your career, you and your career are together. We have to continually separate and go, no, I'm not not getting work because I'm bad or because I suck or because I'm terrible. There is a freaking strike. There's a double strike happening right now. You know, there's strikes going on everywhere. So what we have to do is look inward and go, you know, what would make me feel good right now? If it's to sit on the couch and binge your favorite show, then do it. You know, you have that impulse of always wanting to maybe write a scene or write a monologue, or write your own work. You know, think about trying to do that and make it happen. It's easier than you think. It's interesting. You made me think about how I have a friend, me and her are like scene partners for life. We've worked together through the pandemic, before the pandemic, after the pandemic. We have each other's careers, we used to jokingly say, where she was getting all the network television stuff and has been a, a series regular and all that. And I've gotten all the great theater stuff, Steppenwolf, all that. And we always joke that like, hey, shake my hand so we can switch off. But <laughs> what we found, we both have agents but what I found, and she has found too, and something that I always tell her, is that a lot of the work that I've been able to book and find for myself, I found myself. That my yes. agent did not bring it to me. And my agent does bring me great work. And I go on those auditions. And th that work is typically of a certain strand, uh, usually, you know, network or streaming or equity theater. But I have gone on and I have found things that I was a fit for or a posting that just dropped. And I went ahead and emailed. Or if I thought, you know, I've emailed her and I've said, hey, 
email them my my stuff. I want to go in for an audition. And I think as actors, as important as it is for us to stay inspired, it's also important for us to do the work, putting ourselves out there in an appropriate way. I work in a business development. And so my job is going out courting and talking to individuals on a regular basis. As an actor, it's the same work. It's the same job. I think I've meshed so much into that because I brought that same veracity, that same tenacity to that work. And so I don't mind going ahead and emailing you every quarter until I get an audition. I don't mind it, you know? And so you you finally get me in the room and you go, Brian, right? And it's like, yeah, I'm the one who like was in your inbox appropriately, uh, kindly. And I think that's just like a a certain level. And I think corporate has given me the the way to communicate professionally in that way. But as actors, there's also going out and searching. Yes, Brian, this is like, I love hearing all of this that you're saying. Um, And it's, it's always been a part of my work too. So when I taught at Columbia College years ago, I taught self-management for artists and freelancers. There's always been a producer in me and in you, I can tell. There's always been like the task master, right? And that's a, a beautiful thing. I did a workshop years ago with Caroline Leem, wonderful teacher and, and coach and mentor. And we did a workshop called Producing Your Career. And that idea has always stuck with me. Actors must be the producers of their own careers. You have to. Even when I was in LA, I never would be like, oh, I got I got a commercial agent. I got a TV film agent. I got print agent. I got manager. I never was like, okay, well then I just don't have to worry about it. I was always like, where did you go out on? What was, are they still seeing people? Like talk to me, talk to me. And I've been knowing them a little bit being like, Hey, did you submit me to JC for that? (laughs) Well, no, I mean, for, for me and, and, you know, all agents are different, but um, it should be a collaborative process. It should be like, you know, We are a team together. We are here together to make this work. It shouldn't be like, you know, I've had a lot of actors who are like, is it okay if I contact them? I'm like, listen, they are here to work with you. This is a relationship. I'm not saying call them all the time or email them all the time, not at all. But you have every right, you know, if you haven't heard in a few months or something to reach back around and and, and communicate. This is a business. This is a business that you are half of. And then what would you say is then your advice to those who experience times of success? For me, um, booking this recent booking and getting the opportunity to to get back to this work uh, in a more formal way in January and February, what do you say to those who are experiencing a lift? I would say that's that's a deep thing, but I have a philosophy on it. And, and it's that when we have a, a high high, you know, and then we also have low lows, right? Our job is to remain in the middle kind of, you know, whatever your spirituality says, I'm a fan of Buddha and a bunch of other figures, but don't let yourself go off too far up. Don't let yourself go too far down. Keep your grounding, keep your center, keep your humility and kindness and joy through all of it, because what comes up must come down and vice versa. Do you know? Also too, having said that, remain in the middle, yes, but also Take in that you are worthy and that you were picked for this. And that's a beautiful thing. Don't try to negate it or take that away from you. I see so many actors who cannot accept a compliment, who cannot accept joy about themselves. The first thing that they'll say is like, oh, Adria, will you look at my headshots? Okay, sure. (laughs) And I look at them and then I'm like, oh, I like this one. Oh, I look so ugly in that. Oh, and I'm like, what? That talk does not, we're not doing that talk. You know, well, I got it, but it was only because so-and-so had to drop out. I'm like, oh, no, no, we're not talking like that. We are, our words are nourishment to our bodies. We are alive beings that we have to nourish. So don't take away the booking that you got, no matter how big or how small. In the highs, feel it, love it, be grateful, be happy, allow yourself that happiness. For actors who are just getting started or those who say, I think I can do that because that's how it started for me. It was sitting back, seeing it and going, I can do that. What do you say to them? I say, great. I love it. Yes, you can do that. Yes, but also allow yourself the permission to fail, right? You can do that and and it's okay to fail. You can do that and it's okay to totally mess up. You can't expect your, your trajectory as an actor to just be great all the time. If it is, you're so lucky. You're like the 3% or 2% out there. Um, So yeah, it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. You are not a perfect person. 
but follow your instinct because confidence can trump talent in the room. And I've seen it in the audition room. Confidence can trump talent. If you think you can do it, you can do it. And that goes a long way, really. And to, and to that point, winding down here, but that confidence is needed because when you're on a film set, you may think from the perspective of someone watching the screen, but when you're behind the screen, there's a camera, there's probably someone holding some little dimmer to like get the light out of a certain place. There's a lot of hot lighting. There's the PA over in the corner just watching. There's the guy with the boom mic overhead calling speeds. There's there's so much going on in the room and that confidence and level of focus is necessary. And if I hadn't worked with you, I wouldn't have been prepared for it when I started to come to set and realize and notice those things and have to operate at a level because you're losing money when you're not. And everything is a money game. It's okay, we need to shoot all of this today. Are you ready? And most of the time you spend on set, I joked about you because I did a shoot earlier this year and we did reshoots. And I was like, you know, most of the time on set, I'm just like sitting around. Like I'm just like chilling in the back. And then when they say they're ready for you, you come out and you know, you get hit your mark and you know your line and you go for it. You know your beats and you tell the story. And the unique thing about that project that I told you about is they they filmed it very similarly to a play and that they did very long shots. So we really had the room to just breathe and do the scenes. And I'm with these other actors who weren't as accustomed to that. And they're having a harder time with it. (laughs) They're like losing their lines and stuff. And I'm like, I can go. This is what I'm used to. Uh, But I think that that speaks to the importance of cross-training and really at the core, you know, what is your purpose as an actor? It's to tell these stories authentically, to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think in that, and you've taught me that, is to have fun, to be creative to take risk, to challenge your way of thinking, which is also really one of the purposes behind the show. So for you, what are you most looking forward to? Give us your last words. Gosh, you know, I'm looking forward to really deepening my ties to New York and in Syracuse. I'm doing some legwork with festival stuff here. I'm writing a memoir. Um, I've been writing it for a while. I write it. I come back to it. I'm scared. I'll come back to it. (laughs) So I'm excited about, you know, I want to make that happen. I want to finish it sooner than later um, or finish my uh, another rewrite. (laughs) So I'm excited about that. My son has started high school this past Wednesday. (laughs) So, and my husband, I'm watching him walk into this new job where he's just doing great. And he's, you know, I'm proud of that. So there's, so I I guess looking ahead, I want to continue to be grateful that for the opportunities that lie ahead of me and that are with me now. And what I tell my students all the time is, is that you have to enjoy the process of acting. You know, you can't get from zero to a hundred in one take, right? A, a lot of times people work out with me and I'm like, wait, you you are supposed to work out with me. Don't be result oriented. Don't think of that wasn't perfect. Enjoy the process to let you lead it to where you want to end, end up at. And so that's what I'm trying to do right now, looking towards the future. I'm trying to enjoy the process of where I'm at right now. All right, there we are. <laughs> this is fun. This is fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of BC's Corner. If you love this conversation, feel free to like, to follow, to subscribe, and also to share. And if you really liked us, feel free to go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and we'll see you soon. Whoa, whoa, whoa.